0: Well, hello, church. I hope you are all well. Uh, As we continue the quarantine, we miss you all. We really do. We pray for you, and I'm so grateful that God is protecting you and that none of our church folks uh, have gotten this virus. And so we thank God for that, but we continue to pray for so many in the world who have come down with this sickness. And so it's our responsibility to pray for these people. And how appropriate is it that we are in the middle of a a sermon series on prayer as Jesus is teaching us about how to pray. What are the concepts of prayer prayer, and how is Jesus praying for us even to this day as he is interceding on our behalf to God, the father. Uh, And so uh, let us open this service with prayer and asking God to speak to us. Heavenly father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the blessings that you've given us. I thank you so much, God, for the way you have protected our people. And Lord, I, I thank you again for, for our church, for the love in our church and the commitment of our people. And now, Father, I ask you that in, to, in today's service, that you will anoint the words, that the words be inspired by the Holy Spirit for the truth of what we need to hear for today. Lord, we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And so the title of this sermon is A Continuing Study on Prayer, and today, uh, this is part two of that series, we're going to focus on the Lord's Prayer. And and the interesting thing is that the Lord's Prayer that Jesus has given us appears uh, in two places, one in Matthew and one in Luke. In Luke, it's in uh, Luke chapter 11, verses 2 to 4, and in Matthew, it's in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13 uh we we're going to focus on both of these we're going to use both of these as templates uh but let me just begin by citing the lord's prayer from luke uh luke chapter 11 verse one one day jesus was praying in a certain place when he finished one of the disciples said to him lord teach us to pray just as john taught his disciples jesus said to them when you pray say father hallowed be your name your kingdom come give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Uh, the prayer in Matthew was similar. It's a little longer, but both of these prayers are short, to the point, succinct, under, under 30 seconds. Uh, and so uh, to me, Jesus is giving us a model prayer. Yes, you can make this prayer and use this prayer, but I believe even more importantly, Jesus is giving you the model of how prayer should be. What are the patterns of the prayer as we approach God? Uh, And so as I see this prayer, the first thing that really is hammered home to me uh, is that uh, Jesus is saying, uh, our Father, hallowed be your name. The hallowed aspect of God, the holiness of God, focusing really in on how special God is, all the blessings that he has given to us um, uh, in in so many ways. Um, And at the same time, doing that, asking him to to bring his kingdom to this world, uh, in his will, make this world as he does in heaven. Uh, And so I think it's so important as we see this. Um, And so this becomes an important aspect of our prayer life. Uh, and so understanding the greatness of God, the specialness of God, the holiness of God, all of that, and thanking him, thanking him for all the blessings that he has given us. Uh, and, and then saying, uh, your kingdom come, uh, your will be done in this world as it is in heaven. Meaning we recognize that this world is far from perfect. There's so many issues here. Lord, we want it to be perfect. We want to have justice here just as you've determined justice in heaven. That's what our our petition is. Uh, And then the the next petition in that prayer is, give us each day our daily bread. Uh, and, And what I love about this is that Jesus is saying, each day our daily bread. It's not some futuristic prayer about what I'm going to need down the line in so many years, but rather it's, Lord, help me day by day to ask you, and you give me what i 'm going to need uh, and and we recognize and Jesus is telling us that in this prayer that we should not be reluctant to ask for our our daily needs, uh, because God will give you what you need daily, He will give you food, he will give you sustenance, he will give you clothing, he will give you housing, he will give you rest, he will give you leisure, uh, and he will give you everything that you Absolutely, need not what you may want, not all the desires of your heart, but rather what you need uh, in order to fulfill His will uh, in this world. And so, I want you to turn, if you would, in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, verse 17, as we speak about God's generosity to provide for us. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Uh, And it says here, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Uh, What a, a, a solid theological point this is, as Paul is writing Uh, to his associate, Timothy, uh, in which he's indicating, don't be arrogant in riches. Don't look for riches. Uh, Don't put your your, uh, future in the hands of wealth. Wealth is not the issue, but really it's an uncertain thing. And you know what? You look at what's happened recently in the last six weeks about the stock market collapse, and you recognize that you can't put your future in in, uh, wealth. Uh, or a portfolio of stocks. Why? Because you see what happens. In a short period of time, the vicissitudes of this world are such that it can wipe out fortunes. And so rather, we want to be able to say, Lord, whatever you think that I need, Father, on a day-to-day basis, I don't look to amass wealth. I look rather, Father, to use whatever you give me to advance your kingdom in the world. Uh, And then he says there, Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. What, what a wonderful statement that is. Be rich in good deeds as you go out and advance the kingdom of God. Do good with what God has given you. That's what God wants us to do. Uh, and, and at the same time, we recognize that God in his goodness has given us so many things. He doesn't want us to be ascetics. Uh, he does not ask us to, to be uh, hermits living uh, in a shed someplace that he will take care of us. Uh, and, and look also at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, on that issue about the generosity of God towards us, giving us good things. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, the Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Understand that. Deceiving spirits and being taught by demons, meaning that not everything that you hear, uh, even within a supposed theological environment is coming from God and you need to test the spirits. Verse two, such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. There it is. There it is. Whatever God has given you in this world, um, if it is deemed to be a good and appropriate thing, consecrated with prayer is appropriate to partake. Uh, there are people that say that people shouldn't get married, that that's inappropriate. That's, that's violative of the Word of God. We know that. God has given us that chance to be united, uh, a man and a woman. So that we, we don't take those kind of uh, forbidding statements with any degree of certainty. There's no question about it, that's not right. And the same way with those people that have dietary restrictions because they believe that God doesn't want you to eat all kinds of foods. That's not true, all right? It's not true, God has provided for us. He's given us a plethora of tremendous things in this world. It is the blessings of God. And so we have to recognize that. That's the kind of God we have. And so we thank him in this prayer for all the blessings, for what he has given us, for what he has provided us. And so Paul tells us here very plainly that the denial of gifts of marriage and the other gifts of God is a doctrine taught by demons. And they're liars. Uh, And so we need to remember that. Be very careful when you hear people give you theological insights that are not consistent with the word of God. Uh, What the point of this whole thing is that God wants us to be thankful, that uh, we thank God for everything that he gives us. We hallow his name. We recognize that he has bestowed all these blessings on us. That we were not entitled to anything, but yet through his generosity and love, he has given us that. That should be a part of every prayer. That should be in the beginning of any prayer that you make. And so the Lord desires that we reflect on the very richness of, of life and the beauty that he's given us in this world on a daily basis and in the human relationships that he's given us. He wants us to be thankful for all these things, and he just wants to be thanked. Uh, And that's a part about understanding Hallowed Be Your Name, meaning we thank You, Father, for the greatness of who You are. We thank You for everything that You give us. Uh, And as we do this, we have to remember that prayer is not just about me. I'm not just approaching God uh, about the issues for me. I'm approaching God not just about the issues about me, but about all those that I'm... uh, supposed to be praying for the world my family my friends my relationships my church all those people we should be praying for what am i mindful of the needs of others am i reflecting on the needs of others uh and as i begin to pray all those things should begin to pour into my mind and into my heart that's the kind of prayer that god will honor uh, and so it, it's is important for us to, to reflect on in, in this prayer, this model prayer. And then Jesus then asks us to pray, forgive us our sins. Just as we pray for each day's food, for what we need every day, for, the, for our sustenance, uh, and all the things that are re- we are responsible for to carry on in this life, God wants us to daily confess our failures to him. Forgive us our sins, Uh, and and it is an uh, appropriate, in that regard, that we have a sense of unworthiness uh, before God, uh, because we understand the nature of who we are. We are flesh. Yes, we're saved. We're saved, Uh, and because we're saved, we are attached to the body of Christ. But that doesn't mean that we are truly righteous. We're not righteous until the day we die. We are sinners. We are sinners saved by grace. And so we constantly have to go back to God and say, God, please forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for my mistakes. Forgive me for my errors. Uh, and, it's, and it's appropriate, uh, just like the tax collector that we talked about last week who prayed, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What a, what a wonderful prayer that is. A prayer that says, Father, I recognize the shortcomings of my life. I need help, Lord. Please be merciful towards me uh, in every way. Uh, And and we can come to him honestly acknowledging that particular area of sin and hardness in our heart. Look, at the same time, we want to be able to say, Lord, help me to be more loving. Help me to be more caring. I recognize, Father, that those are sins and areas of hardness in my life. Deliver me from these issues. And I believe God will do that for you. Uh, And... Here's another one. Where am I failing to love my neighbor? I know that Jesus gave us two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your your heart and all your soul and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, how many of us can truly say we're loving our neighbors as ourselves? I've said this often that many of us have trouble loving our spouses the way we should love them. And we're going to love our neighbors, some stranger, uh, in, in the way that we would love ourselves? Of course not. Of course, that's far from the mark. That's the kind of thing that God wants you to pray for. Forgive us our sins uh, in in such an important way, and God will do that. Uh, And so what we have to understand is this. Sin is a terrible affront to God. It is the thing that will separate God from us, and only an open confession uh, through prayer can affect this issue, and so that's important. Uh, And so he's saying, forgive us our sins, uh, and I must acknowledge my failures and my disobedience. This is the time to do it. Lord, I'm weak. I want to do this, but I, but I find myself uh, not able to do it. And so even as we do that, we need to pray for the repentance of other people that we know. There are people who have sinned against us. Uh, and we have to pray for people who have sinned against us. And I know this is a hard one. Uh, this is exceedingly hard. I find this to be hard for myself. But let's see what Jesus says about this. Take a look at Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But I tell you who hear me, and this is Jesus now, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Wow, Jesus this is a hard thing, Father. And God knows it's a hard thing in our flesh. But Jesus makes it very good, lo- very clear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Can you imagine? Do good. Go out of your way to show those who have, have been ignorant and bitter towards you and hateful towards you that, that you can be good towards them. Meaning what? There's only one way that you can do that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that allows you to pray for them. I've said this many times. God wants you to pray for those people who have been bitter and angry towards you, who have sinned against you. When you pray for them, it is what, that is when the anger and resentment comes out of your heart and God gives you the ability. He shows you the paradigm. He shows you Jesus Christ who did it on the cross. If Jesus did it on the cross where he was dying because of the evil men that surrounded him, how much more can we do people that have been angry and bitter towards us? Uh, and so if we do pray like Jesus, if we do pray like Jesus, uh, it will stop us from harboring anger and bitterness. And you see that again, that that's the nature of the Lord's Prayer. Lord, keep me from sin, keep me from evil, show me the, the uh, failings in my life, Lord, address those failings. Uh, and we do that in a model prayer uh, in so many ways and doing this in every way. Uh, this is the only way that you can stop harboring anger and bitterness towards those who treat us poorly. This is an important thing to focus on. Every single one of us in our church and in the world have, been, uh, have had sufferings and persecutions pointed against them. We've been treated unjustly. But you know what? God says, I still want you to stop hating these people. You have to love them. You have to reach out and show them that you're different, that you are a Christian, that because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, you don't hate, you're not bitter, you're not harboring that ongoing resentment. Uh, And that becomes something that will uh, electrify the church and electrify the world. And at the same time, if I have a hard uh, and unforgiving heart, toward anyone today. I'm supposed to take it to the Lord in prayer. And I think that's that's an excellent thing to do. If there's some specific person that you find yourself harboring ill will towards, I think you need to speak to God and ask God to take that hatred out of your heart, to stop harboring that hatred. And God will answer that prayer. If you legitimately ask him to do that, he will do that. Uh, And in order to do that, we need to meditate on the forgiveness God has shown me. Have you ever done that? Have you ever said to yourself, Lord, I I recognize you've forgiven all my sins. You've taken all my sins and removed them from the east as far as the east is from the the west. You have no memory of those sins because I've accepted Jesus Christ. Lord, if you've done that for me, if that's what you've done for me, how how can I not extend love and stop harboring hatred and evil? Uh, And a vengeful mind towards other people who may have been uh, angry or bitter towards me. I can't do that. I have to stop. Uh, And and Jesus reiterates this another time. Uh, And he says in Mark chapter 11, verse 25, And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. Uh, and, and so you understand this is like the daily washing of the feet of the disciples. Uh, when Jesus decided to wash their feet um, and, and, and basically Jesus said to them, you're already clean, meaning you're saved. But yet daily dirt comes up upon us because we walk in an evil, dirty world. And that's why we ask God to forgive us our trespasses because of that. Yes, we're saved. Yes, we're going to heaven. But at the same time, God wants us to have a forgiving, loving spirit. And these issues uh, that come about upon us daily uh, in which we wind up harboring hatred and resentment keep us from having a loving relationship with God. And so this is especially so even when we come to Lord's Supper, that when you come to Lord's Supper, and you are now honoring the death of God and and having a special level of communication, we need to especially approach the table at at that time and ask God to take away those sins from our hearts, to take away those resentments that we have. That's something that I can pray for. Uh, And interestingly, in Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer, uh, Jesus' final petition is this. And I wanted to spend some time on this. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And lead us not into temptation, uh, but deliver us from the ne- evil one. What does that mean? It means that God recognizes that we need to be strengthened uh, for the battle against sin. We live in an evil world. This world is under the dominion of Satan. And if Satan has his dominion, he would like nothing better than to destroy us and to sift us and to take us away from our ministry for God. He can't take our souls because we're saved. We're saved and we're going to to heaven. We're gonna be with God. We're secure in that. But he can can eliminate us from having a powerful ministry. He can eliminate us from being used greatly by God. And so Jesus uh, in this prayer is warning us to be aware of the potential traps that we all face. We all face traps every single day. Uh, in, in the trap in my heart, is it a cold heart? Is it bitterness? Is it gossip? Is it slander? Is it sexual temptation? You know, some of us uh, focus so greatly on, on the, the Ten Commandments and the, and the big sins. Well, you know, I don't murder. I don't commit robbery. Uh, I'm not an adulterer. We go through those things. But we, we tend to lose focus on some of the lesser uh, sins. They're not, they're not lesser in the eyes of God, but they're lesser in ours. Uh, bitterness, gossip. Slander; those are those sins in my mind are just as equal uh, in the panoply of God's world as those other sins, uh, and so God is encouraging us to ask Him, ask Him for His help. Lord, protect me, protect me. Don't lead me into temptation. Protect me from Satan. So now, what does it mean? What does it mean to be delivered uh, from evil or the evil one? And And the evil one would mean, in this case, Satan. And so this this prayer, whether it's delivering me from Satan or delivering me from temptation, it winds up being the same thing. Both of these translations can be true. Uh, And so we need to understand who we are. We need to understand the weaknesses that we are. Uh, And the Apostle John understood this perfectly because he said in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, uh, he said there, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. How about that? So if you claim that you don't sin, then when you say that, you're basically a liar. The truth is not in you because God knows that you sin, that you, that you sin every day of your life uh, because you, you have the flesh and the flesh drags you down. And so that is why we make this prayer, because we recognize that we are predisposed to sin, that every day of our life we will be predisposed to this. So we're asking God to protect us, uh, to encourage us, to let us be aware of these failings and help address them for us. Uh, a, A great example of that is the example that I spoke about last week when Jesus is praying for Peter, when right after Peter says, I, I will be with you, no one would ever take me away, I will never betray you. And Jesus says to him, no, you're actually going to betray me three times uh, before the clock, the, uh, the uh, rooster crows. Uh, and he says there in Luke 22, verse 31, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. He's asked to sift you as wheat. Now, isn't that interesting that that's the nature of Satan? He wanted to effectively... Destroyed Peter's ability to be a leader of the disciples. He wanted to take him off his game. And God knew that Peter would be responsible to strengthen the brethren, to lift the brethren up. And so uh, uh, God has said he would be praying for him, that he wouldn't be destroyed. If you want, let's take a look at that in, the, in our Bibles. Luke 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. I love the fact that Jesus is praying for us, and that's one of the things that is clear from from this study that that I've made, and I'm, I'm gonna review this week and next week, that Jesus is praying for you right now. He prayed for us in this world. He prayed for his disciples every day. He prayed that God would protect them. And then he prayed that as he would leave them, that the Holy Spirit would come back and be with us and be a protector as well uh, and to anoint our minds. And so you see it here, uh, how he is saying to see that Satan has asked to sift him as wheat, meaning what? Satan wanted to destroy him. He wanted to take his ministry away. He didn't want him to be one of the great apostles of all time, to be a leader of all the disciples. Uh, but Jesus said, no, I have prayed for you, that God would protect you, that that wouldn't happen, that your faith would remain strong. And then when you come back from this temptation, you would strengthen your brothers. That's really what we want. Lord, we know that we may fall, but Lord, protect me, lift me up, affirm me, teach me, Father, because I know I'm gonna have shortcomings. I know I'm gonna make mistakes, but you, Lord, within your perfect will, I know that you will raise me up. Uh, And so you see this about Satan, the evil in this world. And one of the things that I have studied uh, about Satan is the fact that one of the best things that he does in such an evil way is to be what I call the accuser of the brethren, the accuser of the brethren. And Jesus speaks about this um, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. Why don't we take a look at that? Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before our God, day and night has been hurled down. Amen to that. All right. Amen to that at the last days that he would be hurled down. But that's exactly the role that Satan has he accuses the brethren. He finds a way uh, to mock and to let others mock in a way to accuse the brethren. Why? Because if I accuse the brethren of some shortcoming or some failing, effectively, that person may take it to heart and find himself walking away from ministry or walking away from from worshiping God, even worse. Uh, Don't you think that that's what would have happened with Peter if Jesus didn't pray for him when he recognized that he failed him at his most needful moment? Of course that, but God knows this and that's why we make this prayer. Lord, lead me not into temptation. Prohibit me from entering into evil, Father. That's what this is about. And so this really has resonated with me this week, especially uh, so in this world that we live in now that we're surrounded by evil. Why this prayer? Why Jesus is telling us about this prayer and how important it is for you to make that prayer. Uh, Satan may even incite us to do things which may not seem evil, but can result in evil. Now, this is important. I want you to hear this. It means that as we walk in this world, we're going to be confronted with situations from time to time and decisions from time to time that may not on their face seem evil. But when we drill down, they are evil and against the word of God. Uh, and I want you to turn, if you would, to First Chronicles chapter 21, First Chronicles chapter 21. Uh, this passage really resonated with me this week as I focused on this message and what God really wanted me to speak to the church. First Chronicles chapter 21, and let me set it up beginning with verse one. This is, this is David, uh, and you know he's fighting the uh, wars against the enemies of God. And so as, as the king, he has determined that he needs to know how many fighting men can he depend on? How many fighting men does he have under his command so that when they are attacked, he will be able to address the, the attack? Well, on its face, that doesn't seem like a bad thing to do, but wait a second. Israel is a theocracy, right? It's a theocracy, meaning, meaning it's being led by God. God is over all. God is in charge. Does God need to have uh, a survey? Does God need to have a survey? And let's look what God says here if you if you drill down on this. This is Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1. Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. Let's stop. Satan incited David to take a census. Meaning what? Satan knew that that would be uh, not within the will of God, but he got into David's head, he got into David's mind, and I'm sure he said to him, you know, you're king now, you need to know who you can depend upon. Yes, I know, God has always said he's going to be there with you, and he'll fight for you, and he's never failed you, but yet still you're in this world. You know, you're in this world. You have a right to know who you can depend on. You could see Satan speaking like that. Verse 2, so David said to Joab, his general, and the commanders of the troops, go and count the Israelites from Beersheba to Dan, the entire country. Then report back to me so that I may know how many there are. But listen what Joab said. But Joab replied, may the Lord multiply his troops a hundred times over. My Lord, the king, are they not all my Lord's subjects? Why does my Lord want to do this? Why should we bring guilt on Israel? And I thank God that from time to time in our lives, the Lord would put us near people who have discernment, spiritual discernment. That's another way God keeps us from evil, that he surrounds us with people who can speak wisdom in, into their heart. And his job is basically saying, I don't think this is a good thing to do. God has been with you uh, and this is a mistake. Uh, and so you see how God... Uh, even protects us by giving people who have wisdom and discernment in our lives and that's the role of the church that's what we should be doing and so continuing on here uh verse three but joab replied uh, excuse me verse four the king's word however overruled joab so joab left and went throughout israel and then came back to jerusalem joab reported the number of the fighting men to david in israel there were one million one hundred thousand men who could handle a sword. Uh, then David said to God, all right, but, but excuse me, in verse seven, it says, this command was repulsive uh, and evil in the sight of God, so he punished Israel. God was repulsed by what David did. What David did was indicating that he did not have to put his complete trust in God. He would first be a man and see in his human ways whether or not in his human ways he had the requisite number of troops troops to fight the battle. That's not how God wants us to live our life. We rely, we walk in faith. We walk in faith. And in faith we give ourselves to God. Uh, And so what you see here now is this dialogue that takes place between uh, David and God, David recognized, I have sinned greatly by doing this. Now I I beg you to take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very serious thing. Uh, And then it's interesting because God says to him uh, in verse 9, he tells one of the seers, the prophets, go and tell David, this is what the Lord says, I am giving you three options. Choose one of them for me to carry out against you. Well, they're all horrible. The bottom line is 78,000. Israelites are struck dead because of this sin. Uh, And in another section of this chapter, it indicates that David had a vision of the avenging angel of the Lord about to destroy Jerusalem. Can you imagine? Jerusalem was going to be uh, destroyed and yet God called that that angel back. So you see what happens uh, if we're not delivered from evil or temptation? Who would think such an innocent thing, but that's where we ask God to protect us, to give us wisdom, even over things that on their face don't look bad. You know, the bottom line is that most of us know the gross sins. We understand the gross sins, but it's these little white white glove sins that we may not be so attuned to that we have to ask God especially to give us discernment. Uh, and so what an, a powerful message this is. Uh, so what's the practical now, as we've delved down here for two weeks on this subject of prayer and the Lord's Prayer and how Jesus prays. And so, in summary, uh, I want you to walk away in remembering uh, seven important things that from this short prayer that Jesus gave us. First, God is our Father and He is no longer our Judge. We are no longer enemies with him. He loves us. We can go to him just as we would go to our own father. He wants to hear from us. He enjoys hearing from us. He wants to bless us in every possible way. He's not going to give you everything you want, but guaranteed he will give you what you need. And through Jesus Christ, we have been reconciled to God. Meaning what? Reconciled means we're partners now with God and Jesus Christ in ministry. That's what reconciliation means. And so we talk to him the way uh, uh, children talk to their beloved father. Second, uh, this world is not what it is supposed to be. Since the Garden of Eden, this world has been collapsing, and we know Paul has said that creation groans for the day of salvation. And so we want a new world, and that's why we say to God, uh, in your will, as it is in heaven, hear, Father, Remake this place uh, as it is in heaven in every possible way. We know that you care about justice. We know that you care about what's wrong and what's right. And we want you to make it right here, Lord. That's our prayer, uh, that you do that, that you take heaven and recreate it here. Third, God gives us everything that we need, both in body and soul. Body and soul. Uh, This is an answer to our prayer about daily bread, meaning what? He not only gives you your physical needs, but he gives you your spiritual need. He takes care by giving you the word of God daily, and he has provided for you a way to have public worship in a spiritual family that loves you and can come together and affirm you and lift you up and help to guide you. Uh, And at the same time, he gives you the chance to work uh, and he gives you the chance to use the church and have family, friends, and even government. Have you thanked God? For the things that government has done for us, it's very insightful over these past two months as to what happens when government acts to really take care of its people. Look at what the government has been doing during this virus. We have to thank God for that. That God has touched the hearts of these people. That they've, they've extended unemployment insurance. That they've extended payroll protection in so many ways. And that they've instructed us that we have to stay quarantined in place. All of this comes from God. God has given them insights. And so God is the giver of all good things. Then, fourth, God offers us forgiveness, even though we don't deserve it. Uh, And that's part of the prayer. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us our trespasses. We've done nothing to earn anything like that. And yet, everything we've done would be basically to earn the wrath of God. Yet God deems it appropriate to call us his children because of Jesus Christ. And so through God, he's the giver of mercy and grace, peace and love. We need to thank him and be ever aware of it. Fifth, God has forgiven our sins. And because of this, because he's given us the paradigm of Jesus on the cross, we now are enabled to readily forgive others when they have wronged us. That's how we do it. We reflect back on what Jesus did for us. On the cross, And so when we see what Jesus did for us, then we can begin to understand, I need to extend forgiveness to others. If God can show forgiveness to me, then I certainly can show forgiveness to others. And so reconciliation can begin to take place in so many ways in this world uh, because of that uh, paradigm that God has given us. Look, life is hard and bad things happen, but God is faithful to us through the end of time. We live in a world full of hostility, violence, oppression, disease, illness, and death. In our lifetimes, we will face tough times just like you're facing them right right now. And we will have challenging days. But here's the deal. God has dealt with evil uh, by giving us Jesus Christ, by triumphing over the death that's in this world through Jesus Christ, his son on the cross Of Calvary. He will never forsake you. Never. And so the ultimate goal and aim of all our lives, as we see in these series of prayers, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, to honor Him and to thank Him. That is the essence of our life. uh, And that's why we have been created. The concluding line in Matthew 6. Verse 13, the Matthew edition of the Lord's Prayer says it perfectly. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Uh, Amen. Yes, that's who you are, God. And we recognize it. And every prayer we make, that should be a keynote of that prayer that we do. And so it reminds us to honor and, uh, and affirm him. And lift him up in every aspect of our life. And so our purpose in both life and in death is to glorify God in everything we do. Uh, in a prayer, in a prayer that takes less than a minute to recite, uh, the Lord's Prayer teaches us the breadth, the depth, height of God's love for us in Jesus uh, through Jesus Christ. It also reorients us to God's will for our lives through him. And so this is God's response. So we have this prayer that, that God has given us, that Jesus has given us to him. And so the question then becomes, is there is there a way that I can see God's response back to me as I have dedicated everything that I do to him? Is there such a place? And I would say, yes, there is. Uh, if you turn to Numbers chapter six, uh, verses 22 to 27, Uh, we see the kind of guarantee and response that we have through uh, our our Father. Uh, And that's found in Numbers chapter 6, uh, beginning in verse 22. And God is speaking here to Moses and telling Moses to give him the very words that God is going to speak to the Israelite people. And it says there, verse 22, The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, and this is now the words I say that God is saying to you today, that as you've said this Lord's prayer and made your commitment to him and honored him and asked him uh, to intervene in your life and to use you in every way to advance his will, this is what God says back to us. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless you. What a prayer. What an amazing prayer that God is giving us back. The Lord bless you and keep you. Keep you safe. Keep you from harm. Keep you from evil. Keep you from temptation. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Imagine that, that God will look upon you and bless everything that you do within his will. His face will shine upon you. And as his face will shine upon you, he will give you peace, peace, both in this world and the knowledge to know that you will be with him, that you don't have to fear death, that he will take care of you and you will be with him someday. And so look, here's the thing, you do not have to attend a seminary to learn how to pray. It is not necessary to spend hours on your knees in order to be heard by God. You don't have to have any one special set of words ritualistically that you apply, Uh, and you don't have to have a certain, certain spiritual frame of God. All you have to do is recognize that he loves you and cares for you, that he gave his son to die on the cross for you, and he is your loving father and you can speak to your Father with every need that you have. We don't have to get our lives sorted out. We don't have to say that I have a lot of shortcomings in my life. That's what you do in prayer, and he'll recognize that, and he will lift you up and correct it. We simply have to come to God, our Father, in our time of need, and speak to him, child to Father. God bless you, church. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus... I thank you for the message that you've given us today, Lord. I thank you for the paradigm of Jesus teaching us how to pray. Lord, there are so many issues that we confront in our daily life, Lord, and we lay them before your throne. I ask you, Father, to give us us wisdom and discernment, even in terms of things that may not seem evil themselves but can wind up being evil. Lord, I ask you in every possible way to let this message resonate in our hearts this week. Protect our people, be with them, Lord, especially so during these evil, stressful times. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name, amen. We love you, church.